Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, uh, verses 24 and 26. We're starting a new series today called Rooted, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to pray for Dan. And then Dan, who is one of our elder candidates, is going to come up and share the word um, with us today. So let's go ahead and jump in here. If you don't have a Bible with you, no worries. It's on the screens. But if you uh, also, if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to pick up one of those on the way out this morning. Um, it will be it is our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of the Word of God um, in your hands. But Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 26. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that as Dan comes and speaks the word to us, God, as he exposes what is in the word to us, God, we pray that you would rule and reign. We ask, as Angie um, asked, that, that your Holy Spirit would be welcome. God, we, we, we hand over control um, to you this morning. We ask that your Holy Spirit would reveal, would enlighten, would inspire, would illuminate what you have revealed in your word. God, we pray for clarity um, for Dan. We pray um, for openness of hearts. Lord, um, there's an old prayer that was prayed by um, uh, the Puritans a long, long time ago that they asked, Lord, and we ask that today as well. God, may your word be as fire and may our hearts be as grass. Would you burn into us your word, your will, your revelation today through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the obedience of your servant who will speak and expose your expose us to what your word says today. God, we love you. We say thank you. We welcome you. And we invite you to have rule and sway and reign over us today. In your good, good name, all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Cody swears it's random, but I'm, I'm pretty sure from that passage you heard, as soon as he saw that we're talking about suffering and hidden mysteries, that he's just like, Dan can handle that. Um, <clears throat> but we are talking uh, today about, um, as Cody mentioned, starting a series called Rooted. We're continuing in Colossians. Uh, and this is a letter that Paul wrote uh, to a church. And just to kind of catch us up, if you have not been uh, with us for the last series, uh, Colossians is a letter that Paul writes. He starts it with prayer and thanksgiving for the church in Colossae, which was a largely Gentile, which means non-Jewish uh, church that is in present day Turkey uh, that he had never been to. These were Christians in a church he had never met before. Uh, the church was planted by one of his disciples, a man named Epaphras. Um, Paul moves from this, this time of prayer and thanksgiving into uh, just this beautiful and impassioned, almost uh, lyric or hymn-like uh, reminder of Christ's supremacy over creation, over history, and over his church. Uh, and last week, we talked about how Paul highlights who we are in light of that supreme Christ. 
Uh, He is a supreme savior for supreme sinners. And now Paul switches from this kind of lyric, uh, beautiful look at who Christ is to uh, kind of more of a narrative passage on his life and ministry and how he came to be writing this letter to them. And I'm excited to unpack that a little bit for us today. Has God ever spoken to you? Uh, we all kind of want this, right? It's something that we, we want to hear, this audible voice of God or this physical presence of God. And I'm jealous of people in the Bible that get that, where Jesus shows up in the flesh and speaks in an audible voice to them. Uh, that's never happened to me. But I do remember one time in my life where his voice was pretty clear. I was 16 years old. I was sitting in my room not two miles from here. Um, and I was asking God what, he, what vision he had for me uh, for this coming school year I had in high school. I was leading a Christian club on campus at the time, and I had just been to the Global Leadership Summit, so I was super hyped about doing, casting some vision and doing what was right for this, this club. And I just started thinking through, what has God called us to do as Christians? I'm like, well, worship. He's expected us. He expects us to worship. Um, so we could sing to him. We can, we can do worship. Um, he expects us to evangelize, to tell other people about him, and to bring other people into the church. That's something we can do. Uh, discipleship. That's kind of a churchy word for maturing in our faith, becoming more and more like Christ as we learn about him through his word and through spiritual disciplines. We can do that. And I remember sitting there just feeling like there was something missing from that list. And it was probably 20 or 30 minutes of me sitting on my bed, um, praying, reflecting, and just listening uh, to, to God. And I remember it just kind of hitting me all at once, um, this prompting in my, my heart um, where the Spirit spoke more clearly to me than he ever had previously and arguably since. Um, where he said, you need to be about my church and the unity of my church. You need to serve the church and fight for the unity of my body. And I remember not like supernaturally, but like getting off of my bed and just lying prostrate on the ground in prayer, trying to understand this a little bit more fully. And uh, I tried to incorporate it into what I did that year. And as I am prone to do, as maybe all of us are prone to do, um, over time, I started to rely more on my own strategies and my own uh, headspace to try and figure out how that was going to be accomplished. And I had convinced myself that that meant that I was going to be a pastor and I was going to be a church planter someday. And that kind of framed the trajectory of my life from that point on. I went to a Christian school where I got to study Um, how to communicate, as well as how to uh, study the Bible and what was in the Bible and church history. I um, got married soon after that and then went to seminary where I learned more about how to do that. And it took me 10 years of being hard-headed to realize that serving the church does not require me to be a pastor or church planter. I had misunderstood this calling um, despite the truth of it and the continued truth of it. 
Paul received a commission from God that was far more dramatic than mine. And we see it in Acts chapter 9. If you don't know much about the life of Paul, we'll we'll do a quick recap here. Uh, But it's really summed up in the first verse of chapter 9. He used to be known as Saul. So when it says Saul in the passage, that's talking about Paul. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Gives you a picture of his relationship with the church at the time. He was not for it. In fact, he was actively trying to fight it. And this passage, uh, he is getting permission to go to a city called Damascus, where he can arrest and persecute the Christians there uh, to stop this movement that's going forward after uh, Jesus's life, death and resurrection. And Jesus met him on that road. Uh, the passage tells us that he, there was a blinding light uh, that came down and stopped this little caravan in its tracks. And we pick it up in verse four and falling to the ground. He, Paul heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. God came in a physical form and audible voice to a man named Paul and gave him a mission. It doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus said to Paul or the full story of what Jesus said to Paul here, but we do get a glimpse of it um, through what God tells a man named Ananias. Paul is is going to Damascus. God tells him to go find this guy. God um, comes and speaks to Ananias, one of the Christians in Damascus, and says, hey, I want you to go meet this this guy, Paul. And Ananias is um, obviously afraid and terrified because this guy is there to arrest them and persecute them. Um, but God tells Ananias and we pick it up in, in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go for he, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and Kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus personally called Paul to a specific mission to bring the gospel to all peoples, Jew and Gentile alike throughout the known world. And it's here I'd like to enter back into our text in Colossians in in verse 24. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Jesus told him in Acts 9, this was maybe 25 to 30 years before, that he would suffer. And Paul has suffered. And he tells us that. Why was he suffering? Well, it says twice in this verse, he is doing it for your sake, for the sake of the church, to build the church. In this verse, he says, for your sake and for the sake of his body, that is the church. In verse 25, he says, for you. He is doing this to build the church and further that mission. But Paul goes further than just saying, I rejoice in sufferings. He says, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now let's stop here. Paul is not saying that Christ's sufferings on the cross were lacking in any way in terms of their redemptive power. That is inconsistent with what Paul has already told us in Colossians about who Jesus is, not to mention the rest of scripture. Christ's redemption for us on the cross is complete finished, 
and final. Let me say that again because I don't want us to misunderstand this. Christ's redemption of us is complete, finished, and final on the cross. So what does he mean? Paul understands something that today we call corporate Christology. And by way of definition of that, just look at the second part of this verse. Paul defines the church as Christ's body. There is a sense in which what is true of Christ is also true of his people. Paul talks of this in detail elsewhere in in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. We see Paul talking in length about how we are all, as part of the church, members of Christ's body. We have different roles, different purposes, uh, different responsibilities within that. But we together make up the body of Christ. In Colossians, he uses this phrase throughout his writing, but he says um, over and over again that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. In Paul's theology, suffering was regarded as evidence that the sufferers were in fact God's new people. It's why Paul can talk of rejoicing in suffering, not just in the midst of it or despite it. There's a commentator named N.T. Wright, um, and I, I really like his perspective on this. He says, if all of these ideas sound strange to modern ears, this may not be so much due to the distance between Paul and ourselves in time and culture, as much as the church has forgotten how to apply to itself the fact that it is the body of the crucified Messiah. And remember, the risen body of Christ, after he raised from the dead, the body of Christ was still marred. He had the marks of the nails in his hands and of a spear-pierced side. It's partly how his disciples recognized him. And it's how his people are recognized today. We are flawed, scarred people saved by grace. Paul is suggesting that he is filling up or completing that which Christ started and which God has called him to do to advance the redemptive mission of God to reconcile people to himself. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions is the future sufferings of those who, like Paul, will experience affliction as members of Christ's body for the sake of advancing the gospel. Paul is not suggesting that he's adding to the sufferings as though his sufferings were independent of Christ, but rather that he shares in sufferings precisely because they are Christ's, and so is he. This is why he rejoices in suffering, because it is accomplishing the mission, his life's purpose, and as such, sharing in Christ's redemptive story. How have you experienced suffering in your life? I think we all have. I think it's wrong for us to think that suffering has to be direct outward persecution of our faith um, to understand this passage. I think all Christians suffer, if not outwardly, then, then inwardly. Maybe it's the long, slow battle with temptation or sickness. Maybe it's the anxieties of responsibility for family or the church. Maybe it's consistent doubt and uncertainty that accompany the obedience we have in faith. My wife gave me permission to share this story, but 
before she became a Christian, she struggled with anxiety. Um, and it's been a long struggle for her. When she became a Christian, God didn't take it away. She has suffered through uh, that anxiety throughout her life. And she told me this week that in some ways, the closer she gets to God, sometimes the worse it gets. That suffering is not uh, foreign, should not be foreign to us. It's an example of it. But also, I want to point out that suffering that does not appear to be for the church can still serve the church. Because of her experience with that, she has had the opportunity to love on other people that have similar circumstances, to speak truth into their lives, to encourage them, and to help them mature in their faith through the process, and to reach others outside the church that may have the same sufferings. Paul's sufferings are the means God uses to extend the message of the gospel to others. And why does he suffer? Well, we pick it up again at the end of verse 24. He says, for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Paul became a servant of the church, big C. And by that, I mean the corporate church at large, not just the local church. He is writing this letter in service to a church of people he has never met before. And he feels the responsibility that God had given him to those people, even though he's never met them before. And God is the one that gave him that responsibility. Stewardship given from God. It's this image of God as king, Paul as his servant, who is overseeing God's mission to the Gentiles. How do you participate in God's mission? What role do you play in the body of Christ? Are you a servant of God who is about the work of the church? I remember when Steph and I came to the table for the first time uh, years ago, we were talking to Cody in the back in the lobby afterwards and telling him a little bit of our story, how we'd been a part of two church plants previously, um, both here and in Minnesota. And I remember, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you might be able to hear Cody saying this. He's like, let me get this straight. You have been a part of multiple mobile church plants in the past for the last 20 years, and you want to do it again? Are you crazy? To which we responded, yeah, probably. Um, why? Because this is where the gospel is moving. This is where people are getting baptized, where we can use our gifts and talents to their fullest, where the mystery of God is being revealed through the preaching of his word. Has it been hard? Yeah. Does it demand a lot of our time and energy? Yes. Is it where we find the most joy? Yes. We get to hear the word of God preached. We get to worship the creator of heaven and earth. We get to do life with our community group where we are Christ's body, suffering and rejoicing together. We get to see people baptized. 
Paul saw for himself this, his life was about this mission and he was going to advance it because it was his responsibility from God specifically. And we pick it up at the end of verse 25 to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. I I, want to give you two illustrations to kind of um, paint a picture here of what he's referring to. If you have had a baby, know someone that's had a baby and had the privilege of going to see an ultrasound, you get to see this image of the baby in the womb, which is amazing. You can see a face and you can see fingers and toes and, uh, but it's a little grainy and fuzzy and you can't see the whole picture at the same time. And you have to kind of piece together what this looks like. It's not the same as seeing it and holding that baby for the first time. Or if you haven't had that experience per, um, perhaps this one will resonate a little bit. If you walk out these doors and look to the North, you'll see mountain ranges and you'll see this contour on the horizon of uh, just mountains to the North of Phoenix. You can see what they look like. You can see the contour. You can get kind of an estimate of where they are. But as you get closer to them, as you drive North, you realize that some of those peaks you see are actually miles in front of or behind something else. You see that rivers cut through, you see that these mountains that looked, you see this outline of and look clear, um, actually have so much more depth and detail. And this is in part what Paul is referring to when he's talking about the mystery hidden for ages. God has been revealing himself to humanity for a long time before Jesus came. Through back in Genesis 3, we see some of the first promises of God redeeming his world through the person of Jesus Christ. From the very first book of the Bible, all the way through the law and the prophets, we get this glimpse or this image of who that's going to be. But but people don't understand it, and it's a mystery to them because they can't see the full picture. An example of this uh, is the prophet Isaiah talks about a suffering servant of God. And he's speaking of Jesus, but at the time, they didn't know that. And I encourage you to read all of Isaiah 53, uh, where it talks about this. I'm just going to read a few verses here. Uh, But this is what he talks about. Isaiah speaks of the suffering servant. He says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one with whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him uh, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the life and death of Christ, all of it makes sense. Looking back, knowing who Jesus was, we can see that that prophecy in Isaiah was talking about him. 
But at the time, it was fuzzy. They didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. So when Paul talks about the mystery hidden for ages and generations now being revealed, it is through the life and death of Christ that it all makes sense. Jesus lived it. He lived the life that this pointed to. But I also love this, and it's, it's as my younger brother would say, it's very meta. Um, Jesus lives this life. He is this person that it's talking about. But after he raises from the dead, he meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he opens the scriptures to them, all of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, and about how they point to him as the fulfillment of all of them. And Cody mentioned last week that after Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul went home and studied for 13 years before he started his ministry, trying to look through the lens of Jesus on how the Old Testament pointed to him and how he was the fulfillment of it all. It's why we should still read the Old Testament today, because Jesus is all over it. Not by name, but he is all over it. Just as an aside to parents, the Jesus Storybook Bible is amazing at doing this. Uh, It walks through various stories throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, and every time demonstrates how it points to this coming Jesus and God's redemptive history. If you are a parent today that doesn't have this book, go back to the kids' table afterwards and pick one up uh, because it is an amazing resource for this. Um, But one other thing Paul does, and I really hope I can do this justice, um, but Paul, later in Colossians, in Colossians 2, verse 17, he's talking about how um, we should not be judged based on the law anymore. To not let people judge us based on that. Um, and he says in Colossians 2.17 that the law and the law was just a shadow of what was to come. But the reality, the substance that it's based on is Christ. And I I just envision, and again, I hope I can do this justice, that I, I picture a timeline kind of spread out before me, and there's this brilliant light of eternity shining back on history. And it's illuminating in its wisdom, this present age, and it's shining all its glory on the cross, the seminal event in history where Jesus made himself known and God made the way for us to be redeemed and reconciled to him. And that light shining on that cross just casts a shadow into history past, which is seen by those that came before Christ. And it's Jesus, but they only see the shadow. They see the mountain range from the distance. They see the ultrasound. And they only understand it in part. But Paul is saying that because of Jesus in his life, uh, that making that mystery known to people is what he was called to do. Paul did it by making disciples and planting churches throughout the known world at the time. And you may say, well, that's great for Paul and all. But I wonder what God has called me to. And I want to tell you today that Paul meets us on the road, or Jesus meets us on the road. Just as he met the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and as he met Paul on the road to Damascus, he meets us, often unlooked for, sometimes highly sought after, but he meets us on our journey 
that we are taking, revealing himself to us in time. When I felt the spirit prompting me at age 16, I did not fully understand. And I kind of took it into my own hands to set a trajectory for my life based on what I thought it was about. But he met me on the road. He met me on the journey. Took 10 years, but he met me on the journey and he's still meeting me. And I've realized there are lots of ways to serve the church and promote unity in the church. I didn't have to be a church planter. I could just be a member of a local church. I could be a mentor. I could be a community group leader. I could serve on a team and be hospitable to others. I could be an elder and I can do it in my vocation as a pharmacist. I'm not thrilled it took so much student debt to get to that point, but. (laughs) Just like God did for Paul, Jesus has commissioned all of us. He has already given us that mission. And he gave it to a group of about 500 disciples after he had risen from the dead, before he ascended into heaven. He gathered his disciples together and he gave them a commission. We call it the Great Commission. We can find it in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Jesus tells his disciples, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It is all of our mission to make disciples, to reveal the mystery of Christ to our friends, family, and neighbors. Following Jesus does not mean our lives are easy or painless. We will experience immense joy, but also very real sufferings. As Cody likes to say, pain is the plan. But we don't do it alone. We do it as part of the church, the body of Christ. In the Great Commission I just read, Jesus says, and I am with you always. And it mirrors what Paul says in Colossians, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We do this together. And in Christ, we have the hope of glory through faith that gets us through. We have salvation and redemption given to us by the Creator, the Supreme Christ. We are rooted in this commission from God to make him known to our family, friends, and neighbors. God has asked something, or Jesus has something else of us, uh, and that is that when we gather, we remember him through communion. And I invite those of you who know Jesus, who are baptized believers and are on mission with him, in a moment to come and take communion, to remember him and to remember our life's purpose and mission that he has given us to fulfill. Some of you may still be trying to understand that mystery. And to you, I invite you to a conversation. We would love to talk to you and hear your story and help you understand the mystery revealed in Jesus. 
And so to you, I invite you to a conversation. You can do that by filling out one of those Connect cards at the info table in the back. After the service, I'll be in the lobby. I'm sure Cody will be as well. You can talk to one of us, and we would love to have that conversation with you. Maybe God has met you on the road today, and you are saying to yourself, I, I want to be a part of this, and I want to follow Jesus. And you can do that now, as you're sitting there in your seat. Jesus tells us that if we, we, we need to admit that we are sinners, and we need to believe that his finished work on the cross is sufficient for us that he will give us his righteousness in our place and commit to following him as our Lord and Savior. And you can pray that, talk, tell that to Jesus in your chair today. And if you do, please talk to one of us afterwards. We do not want you to leave here having made that decision without connecting with us. You can talk to me, you can talk to Cody, uh, better yet, you can talk to the person that you came with today, and we would love to help you understand this Christian life further. And to everybody, I invite you to sing with us as we worship Jesus, as we sing about him and for him who has been revealed to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today and we are humbled by the sacrifice, the suffering and, and death that you went through on our behalf and for our sake. And we know that in this life, as your body, we will participate in that and we will experience some hardships as well. And God, I pray that you would give us joy in that, knowing that it is our part in advancing your mission of redeeming this world and reconciling it to yourself. I pray that you would help us all understand our mission to advance your kingdom and to share the revealed Christ with our family, friends, and neighbors. I pray all this in your name. Amen.